0: Anyway, thank you for your patience as we work out technology bugs that were tested just about 15 minutes ago, and now it's time to go live. Everything decides that it doesn't want to cooperate, and that's the way technology works. That's why we don't put our faith in technology. We put our faith in the God who was the good God of promise and who never fails, never crashes, never disconnects, um, never shows he's working but isn't, but God is always faithful. So we don't put our trust and faith in technology. We put it in the Lord God. So now that that is over with, let me just say happy, happy Resurrection Day. Um, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, This is a fun opportunity. Um, I love Resurrection Day, uh, which has commonly been known as be called Easter. So that's the word I'm going to use because it's easier to say than Resurrection Day. Uh, But the truth is what we're celebrating is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. Easter is a time of celebration. Uh, This is a time of rejoicing. Uh, this is a time of lifting up our eyes to heaven and saying, God, I cannot believe and I am amazed at what you have done for me. That is what Easter means. And this is where our hearts should be today. And you may be facing some struggles and trials right now. I, you know, COVID-19 is affecting everyone in, in one way or another. Um, you may be just impacted because your your lifestyle is, is limited. You may be impacted because you've you've lost your job. You may be impacted because uh, you or someone you, you love is sick or has been sick. Um, It goes on and on. The things we don't know are going to to happen long-term because of this pandemic can cause a great deal of of fear and and trepidation and uh, concern and worry. And I'm here to tell you today what we want to talk about is God has released us from all those things, all those burdens and all those worries and all the unknowns God has taken away uh, on Easter Day. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we call the hope of Easter. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about this morning is how, in the Bible, uh, the word hope means something completely different than how we typically use it today. Uh, but before we get started in looking at the scriptures, uh, I just want to commit our time to prayer, and uh, let's just pray that God will bless this time. Uh, Lord God Almighty, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to exalt you, to know you, and to just remember what you have done for us, the suffering of Christ at Calvary. And the victory of the empty tomb the resurrection of our lord proving uh, the power of god and the victory over death for all who believe and so as we give thanks to you for this today i ask you for your blessing on this technology that's already been a problem uh, whatever it may be lord we trust you to be in control we're not worried about it uh, lord we want to thank you and ask you to bless all who are listening today bless bless me with the words that i need to say that they will be yours and as we study your word god let us remember that it is your word that is the truth that gives us hope So, Father, we thank you this morning and ask you to bless this time we have together in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, again, thank you. And as I said, uh, we want to focus on Easter being a celebration. Uh, This is a time to look to heaven and say, my God, uh, you would do this for me. The cost of Calvary, what Jesus Christ paid for me, and then I know it to be true because the tomb is empty. And so we're going to celebrate and we're going to rejoice and we lift our eyes to heaven and our hearts to heaven and say, Hallelujah, what a savior. Our God is amazing. If you would turn in your Bibles if you have one, uh to First Peter chapter one. This is going to be the text that we're going to be looking at today uh, as we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this day um, and what it provides and what it has done and what it gives to us um, for, for those of us who believe. So in First Peter chapter one. Beginning in verse 3, Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, an Easter message could cover everything and anything in the New Testament because that's what it is all about. Everything that we look at is all about because of and through and for the glory of Christ because of his resurrection. Well, Peter writes here, as he says, Blessed be the Godfather of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. So we're going to start right there. Everything that we're celebrating is because of God's abundant mercy. It comes from nowhere else. It has no other source, and it cannot have any other source. God is a God of mercy. Never forget that. Never get lost in burdens and trials and situations and think, where is God? Because God is a God of not just mercy, but as Peter writes, abundant mercy. God's abundant mercy overflows. That's what the word abundant means. God is not just, this is what you need, here you go. Everything God does when it comes to his mercy and his grace always overflows more than what is needed. And that's what we find in the resurrection of Christ and what he has done at Calvary. It didn't just meet some need. It superseded everything that could be needed. That's why we call it grace. It goes far beyond what could be needed, what could be asked for. God's grace, God's mercy, God's loving kindness, God's patience, they all supersede and exceed far beyond whatever it could be. If the glass needs to be this full, then God overflows. And that's where we find God coming through in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us uh, through his sacrifice. God's mercy is so great that it can't be measured. We cannot try and put some kind of... Wait on it and some kind of scale and say, well, God does this much. Whatever is needed, God exceeds. That's why we have confidence. That's why when the Bible says hope here, he's talking about something completely different than I wish. And boy, I really hope it comes true. There's a confident expectation knowing that what God has promised he will do. Everything God has promised up to this point, he has done, hasn't he? And it certainly has culminated in Jesus Christ, Calvary, and the empty tomb. Everything God promised, He did, and it all comes from the fact that God, in His character, and God's nature, it is who God is. I don't want to use bad terminology and bad doctrine and say God couldn't do this or God can't do that, but really, it's the innate nature of God, the character of God, that makes the whole thing of Calvary true. It makes Him put it into action. It's what He, it, it enforced, it forced Him to kind of do it. And I hate to use that kind of word because I don't have a better word in English to kind of say. It's not that God had no choice because he's God. But God being who he is, this is what he does. He's not going to not do what goes according to his nature. And from the beginning, from the very beginning, God knew that this was going to have to be done. Because he is a God of mercy. And God looked down and he knew that man was going to fall. And he knew that man was going to struggle with righteousness. And man was going to struggle with just being good. Just being good, never mind the the severity of the hundreds of laws that no one can fulfill all of, just the general nature of man just cannot uphold to the holiness of God. So the mercy of God looks upon that and says, I'm going to do for them what they can't do. I am a holy God, I am a righteous God, but I am a merciful God. And I'm going to put all that together, and I'm going to put in place what they can't do for them. And that's what happens next. His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. This is where we get phrases like born again. Who I was born as is never going to be able to achieve the righteousness that I need to have to enter into the holiness of God. So what does God do in His mercy? He lets me be born again. That's what salvation in Christ does. It brings you to a new place, a new beginning, a new creation. The Bible tells us you are a new creation in Christ. That is what begotten us again is. It's a new life. It's a new beginning. And when we're born again, it's because we're born with hope. And that's what He, he He's brought us again to. Okay, we're begotten again to a living hope. As I said earlier, it started to allude to this. The word hope. In the New Testament, in the Bible, is not the hope that we have. Where I hope this rain will end. Um, I hope I win the lottery, if that's your kind of thing. I hope that we get better. I hope this virus ends soon. The hope that's put upon the unknowns is 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 a challenging hope because you have no idea what's going to happen. But a living hope, the hope that God gives to those who put their faith in Him, is a is a a hope that's active. Right? It's, it's more of an expectation of what is to come with a confidence that it will happen. I'm not hoping that I'm going to go to heaven. I know I'm going to go to heaven. But my living hope is based on just the expectation of when it's going to happen. I may not finish this message. I may live to 105. I have no control over that. And I'm not going to hope in anything other than God's righteous will be done. But my hope is in where I'm going to spend eternity. That's my living hope it's an active hope it affects me because it's active and that's what the word living is really trying to say it's having an active impact on my life it's not a dead hope which has no change on me it's not wishful thinking and whatever will be will be a living hope impacts my mind it impacts my heart and impacts my attitude because my expectation is something that I know to be true and I'm just expecting and waiting for it that's what a living hope means. That's what God has borne us again to, if you've put your faith in Christ, the living hope. Uh, The Bible definition is a confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. My hope does not rest on anything that I do. A living hope rests on the knowledge of what God has done and what God is going to do, and is sustained by the knowledge of his faithfulness and his goodness. And the promises that he has fulfilled I don't have to hope in some kind of empty vain way that maybe God will do it maybe God won't because God has already fulfilled the promises that he said he would so my living hope is in the expectation that I know God is going to do what he promised and that is where we uh, are going to spend eternity <laughs> that's the easiest way to put it my living hope is in the knowledge of where my eternity rests I hope yours does, too. This living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, listen. God knows that we need hope. Don't think that God is not aware of what we're going through, what we've been through, what man's been through long before COVID-19, and what we're going to go through in the future. Man needs hope. God understands the frame of man and the heart of man. So God knows. That's why I love the fact that he uses in this passage, of all the things he could have put here, he uses the, the, the phrase living hope. God says it's a living hope, not a peace, not a joy. We have peace and we have joy and we have all those things. I'm not trying to diminish them or take away from them. But right here, what we have that we rest on, That actually is what the source of our joy and peace is, is the living hope. The living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How can I know that what God has promised me when it comes to heaven, his love for me, all these things that I'm going to put my hope in, how do I know I can trust in them? Well, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has established who he is and what he does. And his love for all of us through the resurrection it's a living hope for us through the resurrection as Paul wrote in Romans 8 if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ will also give life to your mortal bodies what God has done what God has promised has been established and we know it and we have the confidence in it because the tomb was empty the resurrection why do we need to have this through the resurrection of jesus christ why do we have to go through jesus why can't i just say god i fulfilled your laws isn't that good enough well if i could it probably would be but you know i i can't sit here and look in in a mirror or a camera and say i fulfilled the laws of god and upheld every single one of them every moment of my life in every way and every time I've had my times of selfishness i've had my times of pride i've had my times of unjust anger um, i'm not going to go through a list of things i've done i don't have enough time we're only here till 12 12 15. but the reality is when one looks inside their heart they realize i need another way because my way by trying to do it myself is not going to work in romans 4 uh, well i'm going to look there real quick if you want to come with me you can romans 4 verses 24 and 25 it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up jesus our lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses there's the cross and was raised because of our justification not because our justification raised him but so that we could receive justification no one can stand before god just if god measures everyone equally with no partiality if god is just the same yesterday today and tomorrow and there's no shadow of turning there's no change with god and he looks at everyone the same against the same measuring stick against the same standard and in the same way there's one truth that the bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god that's not that shouldn't be a big deal to, to recognize and accept about ourselves Everybody messes up, and the first thing they say is, Hey, nobody's perfect, man. Give me a break, right? Said it a million times. Nobody's perfect. Leave me alone. Well, I've just admitted that I sinned. I fall short of the glory of God. I'm not perfect. So I can't measure up. So when God looks at me in the justice and the justness and the righteousness of God, and He's going to measure me, He's going to say, I'm sorry, you don't measure up. But where did we start with? The abundant mercy of God. And the abundant mercy of God comes through and says, I know they can't measure up. I know they have no chance or no hope. So what I will do is I will uphold my just nature. I will still judge. Because if God does not do that, he is no longer God in the character that makes him who he is. He cannot deny himself. But he also, in his mercy, says, I will put my judgment on another. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus Christ went to Calvary so that we could be justified. So we could stand before God and he does not see us in the offenses we have committed. He does not see us in the mistakes we have made, even if we didn't mean to do them. Even if we were sorry for them, the damage is done. So can God be a forgiving God and a just God? Yes, he can. And he proved it because on the cross of Calvary, the justice of God and the mercy of God. We're met. For Christ bore what we deserved. Not because God hates us or he's an angry God. It's because he's a just God. And a just God has to measure everything before it comes into his presence because he is holy. And in his separation of his holiness, it cannot enter his presence if it is not holy, if it is not good, if it is not righteous, if it is not pure. But God wants us. You see the love of God? In the next chapter, In chapter 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. Going down a little bit to verse 8 in Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not deserve the cross. Christ was the one who did not deserve to bear the wrath of God. Christ was the one who was pure and good and the only one who could walk into heaven's gates. And God say he's justified. And that's why the sacrifice is so important of Christ. You can't take a guilty and put it in place of a guilty and say there's been a sacrifice made in their place so they can be justified. It takes one who's innocent and pure to take the place of one who is not pure. One who is good can take the place of one who's guilty. One who's guilty can't take the place of one who's guilty. If I went to court for someone and said, I want to take their place because they got uh, arrested for speeding, the judge is going to look at me and say, we have you on camera, too. You're both going to jail, right? I can't take someone's place because I'm guilty, too. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is absolute purity. There is no sin in him. So he was able to go and bear that. So God demonstrates his love. This abundant mercy that we started with was demonstrated on the cross at Calvary, where Christ died for us. And he says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, the resurrection, the the cross is where Christ paid the penalty. But the resurrection is where life comes. Could Christ have fulfilled God's plan if he just went to the cross and stayed in the tomb? No. Because the whole point was to give life to those who were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ gives us life through the resurrection. The resurrection is the whole key. If Christ does not rise, as Paul said to the Corinthians, we are among men most to be pitied because our our faith is in vain. What do we believe in? But he did rise again. He did rise again. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 15. Or just listen. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, also known as Peter, the guy whose book we're reading, then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles and last of all, he was seen by me as by one born out of due time. At the time this letter is written, there are still hundreds of eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection. Hundreds. This is only 20, 30 years maybe or something in, in that range after Christ's resurrection. So first of all, it hasn't petered out in a couple of years. Well, it's really no proof that he rose again and it kind of, the, this movement dies out, right? We're decades into it now decades and they're still holding fast their proclamation that the man that they followed for years died on the cross was buried in the tomb and he rose again and there are witnesses to it you don't put a testimony like this out to to another church in a letter that can be challenged and contradicted and proven wrong if you don't know it to be true Go look these people up that's basically what he's saying Look, there are there are eyewitnesses to this. I'm not just telling you a story that I heard passed down. The people who were there are still alive. People were there still alive when he wrote this letter. So Christ's death brings about life. The resurrection of Christ. We are now reconciled to God through the resurrection. We know that the resurrection has reconciled us to God, because if it didn't, he wouldn't have risen again. He'd still be in the tomb. If God was not satisfied, God would not have raised him. But God raised him from the dead, because this was his son in whom he was well pleased. And so God looks upon his son and says, I have accepted your sacrifice. Now let's move on to the next stage. We're going to give eternal life through you to all who will believe in you. And that's why Christ rose again and showed himself and was seen for many days by hundreds of people. And now, as Paul wrote in Romans 5, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now i being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And he also says this, and not only that, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And As we just read in 1 Corinthians, from the dead means just that. If there's no death, there's no resurrection. There's no point in discussing it. So did Christ die? Or do we believe some of the the rumors and the lies that say oh he probably didn't die he he didn't fully die in that tomb i don't believe anyone could have survived that and many people who have studied what he went through have have reported and there's evidence that says he had to have died the romans would not have taken him off the cross if it wasn't proven that he was dead and they proved that by sticking the spear in his side no one would have sustained the injuries that he had been buried in a tomb and walked out three days later and seen whole. Keep in mind that on the cross, what Jesus went through, not only was he mocked, okay, and they spat in his face. And they shoved the crown of thorns on his head. So that blood ran down his face. They're not the little prickers that we have here in, in Connecticut. These are thorns that grow in the Middle East uh, that may be an inch or two inches long or however big they are. They're thick, and they dig in, and they cause tremendous pain and suffering. But they punched him in the face, and they pummeled him. By the time they were done, he was no longer recognizable by those who knew him. They scourged him, which is whips with bone and glass and metal, and whatever else they could put in there, so that when it struck his body, it ripped the flesh off his body. And this went on for hours. When he was crucified and nailed to the cross, if you don't know, what kills people on a cross is asphyxiation. They cannot breathe. And what they do is they push themselves up on their feet, which have nails going through them, so it's excruciating, and they try and push themselves up so that they can breathe, so the lungs can expand. Jesus Christ was so beaten by the time he was hung on the cross that he had no energy or any strength to lift himself up. And people are going to say that he lived through that after being in a tomb for a couple more days, for three days. No, Christ was dead. And that is an important part to remember and know in this story, that Christ fully died. The resurrection is is Christ overcoming death. He spent time in the tomb. He went to where people go when they die, and he rose again in a new glorified body. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the whole gospel story. It's where God paid our penalty. That's where God proved that he paid our penalty and that this offering was accepted because he rose again. Now what Peter goes on to say, if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, As we are begotten again to a living hope through Jesus Christ from the dead, it is to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away. You know, an inheritance, I'd love to have one, an inheritance is something that's given. It's not earned. Now, there may be people today who are wealthy, who put stipulations on their inheritances for their children, and they have to live a certain way and act a certain way if they're going to receive their inheritance, and that's the right privilege to what they have earned. But know this, the inheritance we've been given is given to us not because of what we have done, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's a freely given gift by God. What is this inheritance, then? What what are we given? Well, it's eternity with God. What more could you want? Right now, we get to enjoy the relationship with God until we get to spend that time in heaven, and that's part of the inheritance. We are immediately given a part of our inheritance that we get to spend eternity with God. You get to know him right now. As we read in Romans, we are, now that we are justified, we are reconciled. Right now, you can enjoy a relationship with God. You can spend your time with God. You can lay your burdens on God. You can receive the blessings of God. All the things that come from a relationship, you can enjoy that right now. And it comes through faith. comes through faith because Christ did the work. That's what Paul said. We are reconciled through faith. We are justified by faith. That is how we're coming to know God. You put your trust in God. You put your trust in the fact that Jesus Christ did the work. I can't do the work. You can't do the work. God bless you if you want to try, but you're not going to be able to uphold it. That's not an indictment. That's reality of who we are. But in who we are, know that we are loved by God, and he recognizes that. This inheritance, this eternal relationship with God, heaven, God himself, Jesus Christ, all the blessings that come with the relationship with God of having our sins forgiven, look what he says about it. It's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it does not fade away. It's incorruptible. It can't be modified. I can't change it. I can't break it. I can't make it less than it was. It's incorruptible. Nothing can change the inheritance of God for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's undefiled. It can't be tainted you know that what I do what you do we can't taint we can't defile this inheritance we can't make it impure we can't bring anything to it that makes it unpleasing to God it's undefiled we can't affect it but it affects us the relationship with God and the change in the heart that people receive the change in attitude Like, I don't know about you, but I'm still amazed over 25 years later how immediately God began to change the way I looked at things. Immediately. Immediately. A sensitivity to things and to people. Do I perfect it? No. No, no, not at all. But I'll tell you, things that never bothered me and some things that I even liked instantly began to make me feel uncomfortable, and I didn't like them. And I felt guilty about things, and I felt convicted about things. And I just looked at people and everything differently. That's the inheritance of God going to work within the heart of someone when they put their trust in Jesus Christ. So not only is it incorruptible and undefiled, but it does not fade away. It can't change in value. It can't decrease in value. A lot of people who are looking for hope right now, we're talking about hope in Jesus Christ. Part of the fear is the economic effects Of COVID-19 right maybe you've lost your job maybe your retirement fund has gone down significantly Uh, maybe you've lost your business all these things right things change in value the market goes up the market goes down there are many different things that happen that affect the value of something but you know what this does not fade away it does not time out it does not end does not have an expiration date how do I know that Because the next word is reserved. It says it's reserved in heaven for you, this inheritance. God is holding it. This word reserved means that it is kept. It's protected. It's not just written down. In verse 5, if we look down, it says, Who are kept by the power of God. What God gives, God does not allow to be lost. Know that. If you're worried about your relationship with God, can it be lost? Can I lose this? Can, can it, it just fade out and, and I just lose my, my standing with God? I'm telling you, no. This says right here, no. This is reserved in heaven for you. We had planned, uh, a, a family trip. Uh, this actually this coming week it would have been. I booked it three or four months ago to go look at some colleges and I had to reserve a hotel for the trip. And when I made the reservation online, I had two options. I could pay less for the room, but there was no cancellation. I was going to lose my money if I didn't go. Or I could pay more for the room with uh, no penalty cancellation. I could cancel at any time, and I would not have to pay for the room. Now, I went for the second option because I'm old enough to know how things work. had no idea about COVID-19 at the time, but I knew that the few bucks I would save was not worth the risk of something happening, and we couldn't go on the trip well wisely i was able to cancel that but know this that doesn't work in heaven there is no cancellation your reservation is set god has put you your name in the book of life if you accepted jesus christ as lord that's how we know the certainty that comes from the resurrection where is it reserved it's reserved in heaven And I think it's worth the time to really enjoy and appreciate these next two words. For you. This is personal. The inheritance given to those who put their faith in Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's personal. It's for you. We're not lost in the numbers. We're not some mass that there's a whole bunch of people and God doesn't know who we are. It's personal. God knows you personally. God dwells in you personally. God walks with you personally. God hears you personally. God is an intimate God. This reservation cannot be lost. If you have any doubt, regardless of what you've been told or maybe just your feelings that you can lose this reservation this passage right here should give you the assurance that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ you cannot lose your reservation in heaven God doesn't allow it that's not the God who sends his son to suffer on a cross in agony so that he can look at them and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's not the God who would do that. The God who's willing to go to that extreme to redeem people, so anyone who wants to come to heaven can simply look at Christ and say, I believe, he's not going to let that be lost. That would contradict everything he is. Where's the abundant mercy in that? That's the hope. That Peter's writing about the living hope see so a hope that says man I, I hope that what I've done is good enough and yeah I believe but I hope it's true that's a false hope but the hope that God gives is the hope that says I know it to be true but we don't know what's gonna happen with this pandemic and we don't know how long it's gonna last and we don't know what the long-term repercussions are gonna be our society the world only oh, many, so many things may change that we don't know and we can't control. But what we can know, which is bigger than this, is that there's a place in heaven reserved for you if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, let me tell you how easy it is. You look to God and say, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I believe that He died for me, and I believe that He rose again. That's all God asks us to do. The Bible says if you profess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Christ has taken the burden and the work away from us. In Ephesians, he says, you are saved through faith, by grace. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. If my salvation is through my works, then certainly I can lose it, because I will not maintain my works. I know myself. I know myself. But I know that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and I believe that he rose again, I know that my inheritance is reserved in heaven for me. And, yeah, there's things going on in this world, not just COVID-19, other things that have come and gone and will come again that cause us stress and cause us worry. But what we can be sure of, we can look bigger, we can go beyond COVID-19 We can go beyond economic economic strife and problems and worries, and we can know that that is temporary. Heaven is eternal. What's going on right now is such a small blip on the length of your life if you go beyond life here on earth. Life here on earth is finite and has a short period of time, and no one knows how long it's going to be. Eternity is eternity. That's why it's called that you can trust in that you can rest in that you can know that God loves you so much that he would let his son go to the cross he would command his son to go to the cross so that we could be redeemed so that his blood could pay our debt and we could be redeemed and he goes on to say that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation Again, hope I'm not being too redundant. But the whole point of this is critical to maintain and hang on this truth. It's by the power of God. It's not by me. And it's not by you. And it's not by what we do and how good we are. It is by the power of God that we are kept. This reservation in heaven. This reservation in heaven only exists. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross. Now, um, there's some other benefits that we get. If we will turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. This hope has changed our position with God. He says in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. Do you realize that in reverence, don't mistake that, but in reverence, we have the boldness to walk through and enter into the presence of God. The presence of God that was separated by a veil that was torn when Christ died on the cross in the temple. God let everyone know (laughs) through an earthquake that when christ died on the cross the separation between god and man was broken broken it is not for man to put back up again god broke that god broke that down that god allows us to walk through now with boldness enter into the presence of god i want to tell you today that again if you are struggling if you're worried you have direct access to god through jesus christ You no longer need an intermediary here on earth. there is one intercessor between God and man, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to God. Talk to God. Lay your burdens to God and find the peace that comes from God. That's what the living hope wants to give you. Now, I'm starting to run late, um, amazingly, so I want to wrap up with a couple of thoughts. I want to tell you that this is resurrection day. And our God is a God of hope. That's what Easter is all about. It's the hope that comes because Christ rose again. In Romans 15, Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep your hope. Don't let anything that happens in this world deter you, discourage you, or break you down. Because God went through so much and has done so much to show how much he loves you and what his promises and his guarantees are. You can rest in God with the hope. And that hope brings joy and peace. Hope comes first, then joy and peace. You can't have peace if you're worried. You can't have joy if you're afraid. But hope takes those away And replaces them with joy and peace and that's what we're looking for here isn't it we want to take the unknown which causes fear and replace it with confidence that's what the hope of easter is resurrection day is a state of mind it's not just today today we celebrate the event that happened and we remember Right around the time of Passover, because it was that Passover that Christ went to the cross. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the one that was given to pay our debt. And so we remember it right around the time of Passover. They, they coincide on the calendar around the same time of year. But all year long. That's why we celebrate every Sunday with the breaking of bread in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate that Christ went to the cross and rose again. So minute by minute. Day by day, week by week, month by month. Resurrection day is a state of mind. It's the way we live. It's the way we look at things. It's the confidence we have with the unknown. We do not allow it to cause fear. It's okay to be afraid. You know, we're human, and that's what God understands. The natural reaction to being afraid of the unknown is part of who we are, and God understands that. That's why he's called the God of hope. Because he brings hope to the hopeless. And there's no greater hopelessness than what happens after the grave. Are you afraid of what happens after the grave? If you do not know and you're unsure, you can have peace and you can have joy. And you can hopefully expect what awaits you in heaven. We are told to set our mind on things above, not the things down here. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who overcame, who did not burden himself with the shame of the cross. But he allowed himself to do the will of God because he knew what the outcome would be. You don't think Christ had fear and trepidation at the cross. Read the Garden of Gethsemane prayers. No one's ever carried a heavier burden than Christ did. But Christ knew what the outcome was going to be the process was pain that no one has ever known because don't forget not only did he bear physical pain but spiritual pain because his father had allowed him to be separated when he became sin on our behalf Christ had to bear that pain no more relationship with his father a moment a moment of that for Christ is pain unmeasurable for us we, we cannot imagine what that is like but we fix our eyes on him, not things of the earth, not the things of the world, not the things that discourage, things that even aren't true, things that we can't control. What we can rest on is what we do know for certain. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. And those who put their faith in Christ will spend eternity with God. And I hope that is for you. If you have any questions on that, feel free to contact us on our website or our Facebook page. If you have more questions on what it means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you have questions about the resurrection, we are here to answer them for you. But I just want to encourage you one more time. God loves you. He loves you so much. The horror of Calvary was nothing for him compared to the joy that comes with the hope, the living hope. That comes from knowing jesus christ and all those who believe spending eternity with him think about how much he loves you that he would allow that to happen that he would go through that to have you for eternity and all you need to do is put your faith in him he takes care of the rest we are justified we are redeemed our debt is paid in full and i hope this resurrection day finds you hopeful and joyful i hope you remember And enjoy the love that God has for you embrace it accept it sometimes it's hard to accept the love of God but know that it is real and God has proven it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ I'm gonna close in prayer and uh, I wish you a wonderful and blessed and happy Easter Day with your whoever you get to spend it with and if you are alone you are not alone because all the church loves you and is thinking of you. So maybe we're isolated from the body of Christ. (laughs) We're never alone. So let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for the truth and the promise that we have, and the hope that we rest, that by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and the truth of the resurrection, we will spend eternity with you. Thank you for taking away the burden that no man could handle and no man could Sustain, and you put it all upon your son on the cross. That it would please you for him to go through this is it just takes our breath away. It leaves me without words to explain how to describe it. But Lord, it is amazing. And we are humbled by the magnitude of your love. We love you and we exalt you and we thank you that Christ would do this for us. And we are so excited to know that he has risen from the grave. And our hope rests in that. Father, be glorified, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.